God is good all the time. Welcome to our Tuesday afternoon Bible study. My name is Michael Beneshek. I'm one of your warm heart pastors here. Good to have you here on a Tuesday. Welcome online if you're joining us uh, remotely, wherever you may be. We pray God's blessings uh, upon your time with us today. Let's pray. God above, we, we give you thanks for spring, even though it felt like just one day of it. Our prayer today is that, that we hear, that we see, that we feel God's presence through the words that we read today, that we have this Easter joy, this, this resurrection spirit, that we know that we can, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So Lord, bless this time together for those, for those who need your healing hand. For those who are watching online, may they feel our, the, the love within this room as well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 4 is where we're at today. A couple stories in here. Uh, we start off with a Samaritan woman. Can we have someone read verses 1 through, let's do 1 through 6. Pastor Mike, is this a good time to ask you a question from last week? Sure. Okay, last week in the reading, it was, um, you know, Nicodemus. And Jesus told Nicodemus, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So what about Elijah? Uh, or yes. just anybody? Or, yes. It it just says, Jesus said, no one, no one has ever gone into heaven. As, as I read that, would be no one has come back from heaven to tell everyone what it's like. That, okay. that's, that's how I would read that. Okay. Uh, Jesus Jesus has been there, lived there, came to, came to earth. I'm going to tell you about heaven. We have the story in the Old Testament of Elijah going up to, you know, going up. Uh, Elijah did not come back to tell us what it's like. Uh, my kids, my kids ask about heaven, and I tell them I don't know exactly what it looks like. If you want me to come back and tell you, that's fine. And they say no, no, that's good. Just, just stay up there. <laughs> well, in the transfiguration too, I guess we just assume Moses and Elijah came from heaven. You know, so I just, I just questioned. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yep. Makes me smile at the transfiguration story because uh, God told Moses, you will never make it to the promised land. And at the transfiguration, Moses lands in the, in the promised land. Ah. Yeah. Granted, hmm. as a spirit, as, as his heavenly self. Uh, that's, that's just my own translation. Thank you. This is the same Nicodemus that we spoke about on Easter, the one who brought the spices the 75 pounds of spices at the end of the story. Wow, yes. You had to have a wheelbarrow for that. I'd have to something, or, or servants, or, yeah. Yes, wow. Yep, Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, One from John six. 4. I'm sorry, how many verses? One through six. Six, thank you. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. The Lord knew um, that he had heard that Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was there. Uh, Jesus knew because of his rising, rising prominence and, and popularity, there would soon be a confrontation with the religious establishment among whom they were, they were Pharisees. And his time for, uh, to, to, to fight, to have that confrontation with the Pharisees that would be in Jerusalem in John's gospel. So he decided to return to Galilee. Galilee is north of Jerusalem. Think about 50, 60 miles. It's, Galilee is an area, so it's, think 50 to 100 miles. That's, that's Galilee. That's the, that's the range. Most, most uh, Jews, when they went from Galilee to Jerusalem, they went the long way around. They had to go around on the other side of the Jordan, kick back in, because they never wanted to go through, through Samaria. So Jesus' disciples are baptizing there demonstrating that what what John was doing was was affirming. Uh, Jesus believed in the work that John was doing, and he, he had his disciples do it, even though Jesus was not the one doing it. Jesus didn't want to be the next John. Didn't want to copy John. Matter of fact, Jesus is the Son of God, so uh, he's a little higher on, on, on the, in the roles here. Uh, so the disciples did the baptizing. One thing I like to think about is I, I, I was baptized when I was uh, three months old by, by a pastor named Al Winsman, and in my head, I, I try to go back genealogically because uh, he was baptized by someone, and he was baptized by someone, and, and or all the way back. You could probably go, somehow, you got to go all the way back 2,000 years. Uh, it, it touches. Somehow, somehow it touches the disciples that... Uh, I, I, I want, I, I'm, I'm just curious if the person who, you know, if you go all the way up the line, uh, was it John that baptized the person who baptized the person who baptized all the way down? Does that make sense? If you've been baptized, do you have a direct connection somehow to the disciples? To me, that, that sounds pretty cool because here we are on the other side of the continent, on the other side of the planet, uh, 2,000 years later. It just feels so distant, but there is a, there is a line. Uh, somewhere in there. Had to go through Samaria. There was a road that went through Samaria, the shortest route, but there was some, such deep distrust and dislike between many of the Jewish people and the Samaritans. You might remember a few weeks back, we were in the book of Ezra, where a lot of this came out uh, 600 years before, uh, before Christ. Uh, <laughs> the Samaritans, I, I, I didn't know this story until I read it this week. The Samaritans built their own temple on, on, on a mount in, in one of their high places. Uh, but the Jews did not like that, and they came, they came to Samaria, and they burned it down at 128 B.C. Uh, they hated each other uh, to, a, to, a, to a big degree. Uh, from a Jewish standpoint, Jewish people, Gentiles. Samaritans, even though they had, you know, they, they, they had some of their own history together, but they just considered them half-breeds, uh, if I could use that language, but uh, uh, it, it was not good. Uh, they went to Sikar. Uh, some people say it was Shechem. 
another name for the for the capital city of Shechem. Some say it was just outside of Shechem. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but uh, depends on which commentary you read. Uh, this is the this is the area where Abraham first came when he arrived into Cana from Babylonia. This is where God gave the promise to Abram was here. Abram built an altar here. This is where Jacob came Jacob came safely home uh, with his wives and children after seeing Laban. Um, this is a place where Jacob bought a piece of land from a Canaanite for a hundred pieces of silver. This is where Jacob built an altar. This is where the bones of Joseph were buried. This this is kind of, it, if you don't know your Bible history, and I, I didn't know some of this, but the people of the day, when they, this town is well known and has, has a lot of history to the ancient Israelites. But it's now in Samaria. Uh, being, weir- being wearied after his journey, after a long day of walking, he was, he was tired. Uh, John's careful to show that Jesus is God. But he's also careful to show that he's also human. Son of God, son of man. He gets tired. Sat thus by the well. Um, the spring would have been well known by, by the people of the day. Um, what version of scripture is this, Jacob? Yeah. All right. My, my NIV has a couple different words. I don't know if this, this might be the 84 version. Anyway, uh, mine says the six, this happened at the sixth hour. I don't know what your Bible says. Uh, this translates it to noon, uh, the, the, which is uh, in the in the heat of the day. Uh, Jesus, being tired and hot, would have wanted a refreshing drink. Uh, this is the only time in Scripture that they use the term sixth hour or noon. By the way, question I have for you: Superhuman Jesus. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully fully man. Uh, some some people might think that Jesus would never get tired. You're God. You don't get tired. I had a buddy of mine who played baseball for a college and says, oh, I wish I was like Jesus, and I, would, I could hit a home run every single time. And I remember saying, you think Jesus could hit a home run every single time? Jesus wouldn't strike out, and he was like, Jesus would never strike out. He's the son of God. Is he fully human, fully, fully God? I'm just curious. What any 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 thoughts on the idea of, of Jesus being human? Well, don't don't we see him get angry? Don't we see him reprimand as humans do? And if he is to be God and to be us too, he has to suffer and hurt the way we hurt, so he knows how to address that and feel. So, yes, he can be both, and he is both. Even Jesus took naps in the boat while it's sinking. (laughs) Well, the thought that came to my mind is that God is love, and Jesus is love, and their spirit, they have the same spirit, and we can have that spirit too. Let's do verses 7 through 12. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that you ask for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? This woman came for water at, and at what time? Noon. Most, most people got their water in the morning or in the evening. They did not come out in the, in the heat of the, uh, the noonday sun. And she was by herself. Usually, uh, it, was, it was a crowd that went out to the well, and it was a crowd that came back. So here's this woman, alone, at a weird time of day. It does not say, I got I to be careful, it does not say that she was, that she was uh, uh, shunned by the community or anything like that. But you kind of get that feel. A little later on, we'll get some of her backstory that might suggest why, but uh, she's she's out here alone, and she runs into Jesus. The disciples had gone away uh, into the city, perhaps passing her on the way into town. Uh, we could be certain, according to one commentary I read, we could be certain at this stage of their lives, Peter and the others would not have moved off the path for a woman, much less a Samaritan. And uh, perhaps one with loose morals as, as, as that, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, perhaps she had been pushed aside or made to wait while, this, uh, while the disciples, the Galileans, walked on, walked on by. By tradition, a rabbi that Jesus was, a rabbi would not speak with a woman in public, not even to his own wife. You didn't speak to... The, the, the genders were so well defined and you knew who was in charge. You didn't speak to your spouse out in public. There's even there's cultures today that that still play some of these games. Um, it was also very unusual for a Jewish person of the time to ask a favor or accept a drink from a Samaritan cup. It is not clean. It is not ritualistically clean especially from, from a woman. The disciples were also surprised that Jesus spoke with her. We'll hear pretty soon. Um, there's, an old, uh, there's an old phrase back in the day of uh, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Uh, Pharisees who would not even want to look at, at women walking by would close their eyes and they would run into walls or houses and that kind of thing because they're trying to stop from being, you know, from being unclean. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Immediately, the it's, it, it, it sounds barky, but honestly, the woman was impressed by the friendliness of Jesus. You're breaking the rules. Why are you doing this? This woman would have been despised by most of the religious leaders of the day. She was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and she was a woman of questionable reputation. Uh, yet in the interview with Nicodemus last 
chapter, Jesus shows us that he's got something to say to the religious establishment. And in the meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, he also says, shows us that he has something to say to those who are despised by the religious establishment. Uh, Jesus drew the woman into the conversation as I read it, uh, making her curious about several things. Uh, made her curious about the things of God, about who Jesus was, uh, curious about what he could give her. He would have given you living water. In ancient times, they called a, a lot of springs had the had the phrase "living water" because it kind of bubbles up. It's not just sitting there like a pool, but it's it's moving. It has it has life. It's um, just comes from the ground. Uh, Jesus makes a play on words here with the phrase "living water." Uh, he meant spiritual water, of course, but she kind of goes on the. Uh, she, she still thinks he's he's just talking about water. Uh, she calls him out. You got nothing to draw with. Your disciples, they took everything. You're just sitting here. How are you going to get to the water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? It's hard to tell if this is a sincere question or if she was just being cynical. Kind of depends on her tone of voice. Uh, the fact that she came to belief at the end of this encounter, at the end of the chapter, uh, suggests it was an honest question. The part that struck me this time was when she said, uh, are you greater than our father Jacob? These are Samaritans who hate the Jews. The Jews hate the Samaritans. But yet she is drawing on a common history together because Jacob was Jewish. So it just, just struck me like, are you greater than our father? They still, they're still aligned somehow that they're, they're, that they're cousins religiously over hundreds of years. Uh, but it just, it just made me smile a little bit on the inside when I saw that. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it ties back to what we talked about just a few minutes ago. But we, you asked, was Jesus human or God or both? And, and, uh, I, my take on all that, and, and it really includes this, is he came, God came onto earth to show us how to live and how to act. And uh, I, this is just a super example of how you're to live and how you're to act. I mean, just because they're not the same as you, like the Jews and the Gentiles and that whole thing, he, there was no barriers. He meant all. And uh, I think this is just a shining example of that. And it, that for me, when I read the Gospels, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, I'm looking for what he wants. And uh, that's a great place to see one of the things he wants really bad is for us all to get along, all to figure it out. Yeah, yeah the people we choose to hate might be just the people that we're called to love. And again, anytime you see the word world in here, it's, it's a, in John, it's a negative. Um, people not, not following God's commands. But then we get the phrase, for God so loved the world. Everybody. No matter what the Jews think, no matter what the Samaritans think, no matter what Pastor Mike thinks, God so loved the world. Let's do verses 13 to 20. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them 
will never thirst, never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus knew that this woman and everyone in the village had come to this well daily to satisfy their, their natural thirst. Uh, Jesus used thirst as a picture of spiritual needs and longing that everyone has. Uh, Jesus gives her an amazing offer uh, to this woman and, and to anyone who would drink. Uh, lasting satisfaction. Uh, the key to, is to drink of the water that Jesus shall give. A lot of times we try to satisfy our, our God-created inner thirst through many things. But it really is Jesus who, def who makes us feel at peace, who makes us not thirst for what the world could give. I remember someone, <laughs> I did this a long time ago, and someone said, you know, I drank what Jesus offered and I still feel thirsty. I still feel empty. Do you know what happens if you have a drink of water and you're still thirsty? What do you do? Drink more. Keep going. Go back to that well. Uh, keep, keep getting your dose, dose of, of, of Jesus. Uh, the response of the, of the woman was logical, but not spiritual. I liked how she, give me this water so I don't, so I don't have to come here every day. I don't think anyone, anyone here remembers these days. Um, uh, we, we, we all had indoor plumbing, right? No? Did, was there a time when you had outdoor plumbing? All right. So anytime you needed water, when you were a kid, water, you had to go outside and pump the well? A water bucket? All right. My kids will never know <laughs> uh, going out and, and uh, having to get water or the outhouse is out there and you got to go out there in the middle of the night. Um, we visited my great-grandparents' house. Uh, a while back, the outhouse. The house is gone. The outhouse is gone. Da, 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 da. We knew where the house was. The foundations are there. And then over there, it was all brown grass, except right over here, there was green grass. Where the outhouse was. 100 years later, it's still green. Uh, but, oh, it is just, uh, it is just so easy just to go into the kitchen, faucet, water. I can't imagine living in places where you have to walk miles to get your water and you got to carry it, carry it back. But uh, her response was, how do I get this water so I don't have to come here? So I can uh, go tell your husband. I have no husband. Uh, she goes, and, and she's had five. Um, Jesus knew somehow, the part God thing, or, or she knew about, he knew about her. Uh, that there was more to the story of the woman's marriage history. Um, so I'm sitting at the Department of Vital Stats. There's a Department of Vital Stats where you can go get 
uh, birth certificates, death certificates, that kind of thing. So I'm asking for a death certificate for someone that, uh, in, in my own line, cause I'm doing some family history stuff and I'm waiting. And, uh, there was a booklet that had all like all the stats that they compiled over the last year. And I'm just kind of thumbing through it. And it's eh, kind of fun, interesting stuff. And I came to a, a, a stat, a graph that had marriages and it was a table and it was like groom up here and it had bride right here and it had boxes, number of marriages. And it said one, two, three and one, two, three. And like for all the weddings in the County, how many weddings, this was the groom's first wedding and the bride's first wedding. And it gave a big number, 2,200, whatever it was. And then like groom's second wedding. So you could, you could see the graph on that. Is this making sense? On, on uh, how many weddings took place where this was his so many weddings, this was her so many weddings. And they were all right up here in the corner, you know, first marriage, big time, second marriages, the number was smaller, third marriage, second marriage, you know, the, the numbers got smaller and smaller. Way down here in the corner, there was one that was his seventh marriage, her eighth marriage. And there was one. There was one wedding where he had... Like, there were 15 X's among them. <laughs> like, oh, how, how do you say good luck on that one? Uh, but here we are. This, this lady's been married five times. Uh, but she currently has no husband but is, 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 uh, is shacking up right now with, uh, with someone. Christ has different doors for entering into people's souls. To some, he enters by understanding. To some, others, maybe by affection. To some, it might be fear. By, by someone else, maybe hope. And he came to this woman by way, of, by way of her conscience. Jesus brought up this embarrassing issue because her, her life needed to be confronted. This woman had to decide, are, 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 are you done living like this? Uh, or do you want to find the living water? Um. Jesus shows us that living together and marriage are not the same thing. And even legally, we do that today. Um, I, do a, I do a lot of weddings, and sometimes the, uh, uh, the, the couples are, are not married. I did a wedding uh, just a few months back where they, 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 they found me because the, the church that they went to would not marry them because they live together. My, my, my feeling on this is you know how to fix that? You marry him. So I don't mind marrying. Uh, that's, not, that's not one of my rules at all. Um, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Um, this was back in Israel, back in the day. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I like is he's, he's like, uh, let, let's, talk about your, uh, let's talk about your home life. She goes, no. And she changes the subject. We used to worship on this mountain. Uh, you, but you like notice how the conversation shifted really fast. Uh, but Jesus doesn't let her let her get out of it. Um, Jesus was more interested in winning a soul than winning an argument. And he kind of let it go. Uh, curiosity. Ch times are different nowadays, right? Um, times are different than when I, when I was growing up too. Uh, Living together, is it, is, it, is it fine for people to live together before marriage? 
today or was it was it okay back in the day? Help me out. What was it like back here in Idaho? I'm just curious. I'm not I'm not putting a moral stance on it. I'm just no. no, it it wasn't acceptable. When did, when did it change? When did it shift? Boy. Thursday? Thursday? <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm sorry. It just seems to me it's a lot like the uh, the same thing is happening with the gay community, those kind of issues, even abortion. It's always changing, it's evolving in some situations. In our world, it still is, you know, you can be put to death for being, living with each other, or you can be put to death if you're gay. And and these things uh, have been evolving for a, for a very, very long time, and they come and go backwards and, and stuff, but... Uh, I think living together is kind of the same kind of issue. Uh, there's no right answer, wrong answer particularly. Uh, we just have to let God judge that, and we've got to let go. Uh, we don't get to be the judge. This doesn't pertain to the question, but it pertains to the Scripture. Um, in verse 20, he says, uh, We Jews know all about him. And yet, when he came, they didn't recognize him. So I kind of question, in my mind, I'm questioning, well, did they, the Jews really know all about him if they didn't recognize him? And uh, I think uh, the other th thought of mine was that uh, knowing about Jesus doesn't do us as much good as having that relation ship with Jesus. Yeah. I can know all about my grandpa, but if I never say hi, then it's just a, then it's just a biography. Yeah. I know people who know more about Jesus from the book, but they don't know him here. And I know a lot of people who know Jesus here who have no idea what's in here. <laughs> Isn't it more important to see just because two people live together doesn't make them bad people. Doesn't mean they don't believe in Jesus. And they can yeah. believe in Jesus all you want. And it's a norm in the certain societies that they need to be married. Doesn't mean it's universal. And it doesn't mean it's right or that the other side's right. It depends on what those two people feel. Yep. Yeah, I'm not putting a moral statement on this at all. Uh, my brother-in-law and now my sister-in-law, unmarried for 10 years, live together. And my kids are asking, do we call her Do we call her aunt? I'm like, not yet. Not yet. Well, and then they were like, why don't you call her aunt? It's like, she's not, she's not an aunt. She's not an aunt yet. Um, yeah. And my brother, my brother-in-law said something. I'm trying to remember his exact words, but it was something like, "I wish there was a way for us to affirm that we are together, so that people would treat us like we're together." I'm like, "I know what that is. I know what that is." There's, there's nothing magical that happens at a, at, at a wedding except the people stand up and they affirm to themselves, to God, to the community, treat us as one. And, and that's, how, that's how society has decided to say, all right, 
there are certain rights and responsibilities that you have when you make that commitment. You can go see each other in the hospital. You can you could affirm and make decisions for each other, depending on power of attorney stuff and all that. Uh, there's life insurance designations. Um, all, there's just all these legal things that come with uh, with with standing standing before. Um, I got a my 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 son's gonna be in a house next year. I said, do not sign a lease. Do not don't buy a house with someone that you're not married to. <laughs> bad thing bad things happen. Don't commingle money. Before you're married, don't commingle money. After you're married, commingle the money. <laughs> I find that this woman is very interesting. She is not shy. She didn't run away when she was approached. Uh, she seems to have some intelligence. And as far as what I can see about the norm of the way the women were treated and how they're put down, she was very refreshing, probably to him and to herself. She's carrying on a whole conversation here with them. She's holding her own. And there, she's also this, when you were talking about uh, so that I don't have to come to the well every day to get, I mean, that's a kind of a, a funny and uh, lighthearted conversation. Okay. And um, I think that's very refreshing. We never learned her name. That's the sad part in this. We never learned her name. John never took the time. I bet you Jesus knew what it was. Yeah. Let's get to verses 21 to 26. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are, ki they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The Samaritans believe that Moses commissioned an altar up on the mount there in the high place in, in Samaria. Uh, they called it a mountain of blessing. This was their justification of the system of worship that they had on, on that mountain. But they tried to combine different elements of different religions, and they kind of got to a mishmash. of They, they worshipped what they did not know. Uh, they accepted the first five books of Hebrew Scripture, the Torah, uh, but they rejected the rest. Um, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, one of, it's, it's one of the greatest announcements ever made by our Lord, and he made it to, to, to this one Samaritan woman. God is spirit, and those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. Um, it doesn't have to be in Jerusalem. Totally foreign concept uh, to, to the people of the day. Have to worship in Jerusalem. 
that's the temple. That's where God is. We went through all this trouble for the last thousand years trying to get this place back. And Jesus is saying you could worship anywhere. How should Pastor Mike answer that question when people say, Pastor Mike, I don't have to go to church. I could worship anywhere. Help me out. What's a good way? What, what, what should I say when people say that? Because Jesus is on their side. You don't have to worship in Jerusalem. You don't have to worship in a, in a church, in a synagogue, in a temple. What, what should I tell him? I had heard it, um, the analogy in a sermon once about the embers in a fireplace. And they all burn well together. When the, when the fire is going, but you take one ember out and set it on the hearth, the fire in the fireplace continues, but that ember goes out. Church is about community. I can worship alone. That's, that's fine. Yeah. But it's more prayerful at, 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 at that point. Uh, elements of worship, praise, uh, celebration, uh, community, communion, blessing, um, giving. Pr- yeah, loving. I've <laughs> Humankind is a communal organization. We all need touch. We all need connection. And what better connection than to come to God's home? and make that connection. And like Faye said, that ember left out there doesn't take long to find other directions and dies. And so it's just much warmer in the church. But again, there's not a reason that we can't gather in the trees or in your backyard and pray where two or more are gathered, I am with you. And like Dean says, he has his prayers by himself early in the morning. Yes, I too. And I'm sure God hears each and every one of us, but that flame is so much warmer on Sunday morning. Yeah. I think a lot of us found out during COVID, during our pandemic, when we were stuck at home, how much we missed gathering. I spent many Sundays at home not very far away from here, but all of a sudden I got this tugging at my heart that I needed to come, and I needed to come here. And I have felt much better, and I don't miss very many Sundays. And I'm much happier now than I was at home. I still believed, and I talked to God at home, or wherever I was, and he's always been in my heart, but I need the fellowship. And the day I started coming back to church just made a big difference in my life. I needed that community. Yeah. I just have a question, though. Yeah. Um, so he's talking about worshiping the Father, whether it's in, on top of the mountain or it's in Jerusalem. It's a little bit different then, was it not? It's not like church today where you come together and you sit in your pews with the same group of people and you worship together, and maybe you attend a Bible study. Maybe you gather together as friends at people's homes and have meals and break bread. 
wasn't it a little different then? Like you would go to the temple specifically to worship the Father. How much was that community relationship present actually in the temple at in, that time? In the temple in Jerusalem, not so much, not so but, much. It, but in your local synagogue or the local That's place where, where they you're would at. go, right? right? Okay. So I just wanted to make that clarification um, as far as the gathering of people. If God is spirit, you really can't contain spirit within walls, right? It's more about making connections and being in relationship. So it goes back to that personal relationship with God, but also that relationship with others. So loving of God, loving of others as you love yourself. And so regardless of where you are, you can do that. And it's all in community. Uh, one of my favorite places on the planet, which I haven't been to in about 10 years, is a, is a campsite, a Methodist camp, where, where I got my call to ministry and yada, yada, yada. I, did a, I, I led camps there, 200 junior high kids uh, for a week in the summer for 20 years. Uh, that, if you wonder where my hair went, that's where it went, right there, 200 junior high kids. Um, and the spirit was there and it was, it was awesome. It was wonderful. You didn't need Jerusalem, but you could worship, you know, at the, at the campsite or at the lake or wherever. Um, the last time I was there, we were driving back through and wanted to show my kids cause my kids weren't old enough to anyway, um, wanted to walk around with them and you walk around and we're, there's nobody there and it's empty. And that it, it, I know the spirits everywhere, but it didn't feel like it didn't feel like the camp that I remembered because there weren't 200 junior high kids and there were, there wasn't all this activity and there wasn't, there wasn't church stuff going on. It was just, dad, this is a campsite. Like I know it was more impressive when there was stuff going on. Um, when I walked through the church on Sunday, thank you to everyone who came to Easter, uh, felt like a good service. Thank you to Debbie and for everyone to make that happen and, uh, upstairs and all that. Um, and you can feel the spirit that is alive in there. I'll be honest, sometimes I'm here at night by myself and I walk through the sanctuary. It's spooky. <laughs> the lights are off and it's just quiet. And then you hear a noise. You're like, um, who's, yeah, it's different. It's different. It's different. All right. Flip the page if you're on, if you're on these sheets. I got four minutes to get through a whole page. <laughs> it is a long chapter. Uh, you know, uh, the, two of these stories, the disciples re rejoin, rejoin Jesus. Um, disciples come back. They're surprised that we're just going to we'll read this, but I, I won't give commentary on it because I want to get to the last story real quick. Uh, the healing of the official son. Uh, does someone want to read? We're going to do a big chunk. Twenty seven through forty two. Just just to read it. Uh, just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. 
Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is too. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe that just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Every time you hear the word world, think everybody. Think what is opposed to God in John's gospel. This man is the savior of all of us. And he stayed two days. Uh, if, if a Jew was going through Samaria, they would try to book it as fast as they can to get through there. I remember as a kid when we were driving from one, one place to another, we'd have to go through some large cities. My parents would not stop in Kansas City to save their life. Uh, if the tire goes flat, drive through. We're almost out of gas. We're going to get gas on the other side of town. <laughs> like, don't. Uh, Samaria. Jesus stayed for two days. Um, I think that says something. Um, but now he's in Galilee. Uh, I'll read this real quick just to, just to get through it. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was clothed to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. Jesus, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from, uh, from Judea to Galilee. What was the first sign? Water and wine. Second sign. 
there are a number of John picks out a, a number of signs that we'll have in the next few few weeks. Prophet has no honor in his own country. Galilee was Jesus' country. This is where he grew up. And they were so familiar with Jesus, they probably didn't honor him the way they should have. He's just one of us. He's a local boy, done good. Um, it was customary for the Jews in Galilee to go to Jerusalem for the feast. Uh, perhaps they remembered when Jesus turned, overturned the merchant temple tables in the outer courts in chapter 2. Maybe that's what they're referring to. Uh, by this time, Jesus made his home in Capernaum, uh, according to Matthew, anyway. Uh, though Jesus here was at Cana, a few miles down the road, the nobleman traveled 20, 20 or so miles away from Capernaum to Cana. So this is about 20 miles. Go. He tells the official, your son, your son, your son will live. If you got that news, how fast, how quickly do you think you could get from, from here 20 miles? How long would it take you? 10, 10 minutes? Yeah. You'd, you'd be home that day, right? Definitely home that day. Does he get home the next day? Or I'm sorry, does he get home that day? No, when did he get home? Next day. We don't even know if, when he got home because the next day it was 1 o'clock. Yeah, he, he, he sees his, you know, his people coming, coming to meet him. To me, that tells me the faith. I, I'm, I'm reading into this, I know. Uh, the faith of this, of this official. He booked it. I know my time is up, but uh, he booked it to go see Jesus. He's right there. Jesus says, your son is well. It takes him two days to get home. <laughs> so that tells me a little bit that either he's really lazy or, number two, he has faith enough in Jesus. Jesus said is it. I believe it. I don't have to run home. We get another healing at the next, in the next chapter. Healing at the pool. One more sign. Go in peace, and we will see you Sunday. Thank you.